Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your host is Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor and founder of the Chalcedon Teacher Training Institute. Thanks for joining me again for this edition of the Out of the Question podcast. And uh, one of the things I really like it is when listeners contact me and make suggestions as to interesting people I should interview. And a friend of almost 30 years contacted me and said, you should talk to Gabriel Wrench. And I was like, why does that name sound familiar? And then I remember that I, you know, I've seen him on Facebook, but I really remember him because last year he ended up making it onto the national scene because he dared sing praises to our Lord Jesus Christ in public without a mask. So Gabe, thanks for joining me. Um, before we get into your other ventures, why don't you just share a little bit about what it was like to think all you were going out was to sing and ended up on the national stage. Andrea, thanks for having me and it's good to be with you. Yeah, um, just to give your listeners maybe a little context and background to what happened. Uh, I live in uh, Moscow, Idaho, which is the hometown of University of Idaho. And it's one of the, there's two liberal counties in Idaho, and I'm in one of them. And as probably your listeners, if we can think back to March, uh, which was a long time ago, given this last year, uh, our mayor shut down um, our businesses in town, kind of did this this shutdown, this emergency proclamation to shut down, ten, shut down businesses and to kind of have everyone shelter in place. Uh, back in March 20th, and that was before any coronavirus cases had made it to our county um, back in March. So he shuts everything down, uh, you know, tells my friends who are restaurant owners and gym owners and so forth not to basically provide for their families, shut down your business, while he at the same time continues to take his taxpayer-funded paycheck. And then uh, after about a month and a half, about a month, he kind of allows things to start opening up again. And then on June 30th, our mayor and city council instituted a masking mandate, all again off these kind of emergency orders. And this masking mandate said, you need to wear a mask where you couldn't social distance, where you couldn't be, you know, six feet, an arbitrary six feet apart. So that was June 30th. Well, my church, one of the ways we protest and all this is we go sing psalms in downtown or, or uh, city hall, out, out in the parking lot at city hall. And so we kind of sing psalms we'd gather on like a wednesday after work sing psalms for about 20 minutes 30 minutes and and then um leave go home that kind of thing that's how we protest well the mask mandate got extended august 3rd and we'd go protest when it got extended and then on september 21st they went to uh, the city council met again and overwhelmingly the town's people were like do not extend this mask mandate um there's three hours of testimony and i think maybe one person maybe two stood up against or in favor of extending the mask mandate, everybody else was against it. And so on September 21st, they voted to extend it. They didn't listen to the townspeople. And on September 23rd, my, my pastors and my elders said, hey, let's go do another psalm sing to protest the mask mandate. And we this time we went to the city hall parking lot. And so uh, at, we went there about five o'clock. And when I got there, um, this is five o'clock in the afternoon on September 23rd. The mayor um, had city staff spray paint circles six feet apart in the parking lot at City oh Hall. My. 
it, it was unbelievable. I'm like, wow, they took city resources and time to spray paint circles every six feet apart. And so we get there and, and the cops, there's a row of cops lined up in the back, five, six cops lined up in, in the front of us, excuse me, by the, the city hall building. And they told my pastor saying, hey, if, if uh, you guys aren't obeying the resolution, uh, the emergency health order, it wasn't a law, it was just an order, not a, not a law. If you guys aren't obeying the order, then we're going to cite and possibly arrest if, if necessary. So my pastor turns around and relays that information to, the, to us who are out there. And uh, no one moves. Everyone just kind of stood there. And so we started singing. We started with Psalm 20. And there's probably about 150 to 200 people there. No, maybe about 200 people. And this was men, lot. women, and children, right? Men, women, and children, families. My mom was standing next to me. Uh, and so we start singing. And as soon as we start singing, they approach us. And they approach my, I, I just happened to be the closest one to the edge of where the cops came up. And, and they approached me and my mom. They approached my mom first. And they asked my mom, are you with this man? And she says, yes, this is my son. So we're allowed to be standing close to each other without wearing masks because we're family. Mm-hmm. And, and so I put my arm around my buddy, Tyler. Uh, and I said, but this is my friend, Tyler. And so the arresting officer proceeded to ask for my driver's license. And what's crazy about all this is that mask mandate had been in effect since June 30th. And they had never cited anybody for it, never ticketed anybody for it, or arrested, you know, it, they had never enforced it. So I, I wasn't thinking they were going to do it. I'm practicing my First Amendment rights. I'm kind of practicing all the First Amendment rights, all in one. I'm, uh, you know, f- uh, practicing free speech. I'm worshiping. We're, we're gathering and we're petitioning. All, you know, all four in one. And so the officer asked my driver's license. I said, officer, you, um, you don't have to do this. And then he asked again. And he said, and then I said, and I responded and said, um, you have a duty to protect my first amendment rights. Uh, you are, that's what you swore an oath to. You didn't swear an oath to this order. You swore an oath to the first amendment rights to protect my first amendment rights. And then he asked again. And I, and I said, officer, you know, better than this. You don't have to do this. And then he asked one, he said, I'm asking you one more time. And then I said, you don't have to do this. And, and so he proceeds to arrest me and he had to take my hymnal book away from me to handcuff me. Uh, and so he so actually he, he, handcuffed you. This was a handcuffable mm-hmm. event. Yeah. Yeah. It was a misdemeanor. So I could get um, a thousand dollar fine up to six months in jail. So they had made this violating this order, which it wasn't a law violating this order, a misdemeanor. And so uh, as they're arresting me, Psalm 20 is being sung in the background. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the Lord, our God. And just kind of a, uh, a, a great moment, a great soundtrack for what was going on for me. It would have been harder yeah, to stage amen. that better. Amen. And so they walked me over to the, to the deputy's car. So the police, the Moscow PD arrested me, and then they were handing me over to the Latok County Sheriff's Office, the deputy's office, which is where the jail cells located. So uh, they, dr- uh, they put me in the cop car, and on the way um, to Latok County Jail, I, I realized I'm in the cop car. I'm going to be paying for some sort of bail. I, I might as well get my money's worth. So I just started preaching at the cop the whole way to, to, <laughs> to the county jail and just telling him, look, you know, God, God's in heaven. You're on earth. He's he's seeing all this. He's watching all this. And you know, you have a constitutional duty. You aren't upholding my rights, blah, blah, blah. You know, so kind of, kind of started preaching at him. I get to the, 
jail. They booked me in jail and, and, and this, I was in the cell for about two to three hours. And, and, it, and when anybody would come up to me in the jail cell, I would just start preaching at him again. I'm like, well, I might as well get my bell money worth. <laughs> right. And, and I would say, I, I had one deputy there. He's like, man, I can't say anything, but I agree with you. I'm sorry. This is, this is not right. And I was like, then get me out of here. And the arresting officer, while I'm in jail, comes to explain the citation, what he, what he wrote me up for. And he said, um, I'm, I'm writing you up for breaking the order, breaking the health order, but I'm not going to cite you for obstruction. Now, obstruction would be, you know, me not handing over my license. Right. Uh, and so, so I respond to him and said, oh, thank you, Massa. So merciful. And he audibly kind of gasped, you know, because he genuinely thought he was being merciful. Right. Uh, and, 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 and I'm like, what context do you think this is mercy? <laughs> I'm arrested for practicing my first amendment. Right. So I, I, I get released. Um, the sheriff got involved. The sheriff told um, the city prosecutor and the judge to release me without bond. He didn't want me in his jail. Um, so the sheriff was actually really good in all this when he found out what had happened. And so he had me, me released, but the, one of the funny moments as I'm getting released is there's two deputies in the office across the way who are not social distancing and not wearing a mask. So on my way out of the jail, I go over there and tell one of the cop, one of the officers, one of the deputies to arrest these two people because I was in jail for the same thing just now. I said, you need to arrest them. They are not wearing masks and they're not social distancing. Arrest them now. And they said, please leave. And I said, no, you need to arrest them. This is what I just got arrested for and what I'm being released for right now. You need to arrest them. And so they basically kind of forced me out. They pushed me out the side door of, of, the, of the jail cell and I leave. And um, we, my, I, I host a show called Cross Politic. We went and immediately did a show that night that went viral, went all over the place, kind of detailing what had happened. And so I got arrested for singing psalms, exercising my First Amendment rights. Um, but they didn't like it because I wasn't wearing a mask and social distancing. And, and that's uh, where we're at today. Right. So a couple of questions. Your mother wasn't arrested. No. So they selected somebody and you were that somebody. And mm -hmm. you were outside. And these two officers who you pointed out, they were inside. So they didn't have the benefit even of an open air forum where they weren't wearing their mask. They were the officers. Are you talking about the ones in the jail cell or the ones? Yeah, the arrested? ones inside. Yeah, when you were leaving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were inside the county jail, inside the office. No, not exposed. But they were supposed to be wearing a mask because you got to wear a mask where you can't social distance. Exactly. Okay, so this might normally have been something that would have happened in a small town, maybe made the local news. But I remember seeing you on national news and. A big to-do was made of this. Why do you think it captured the attention of conservative media? Well, because it was a really egregious uh, moment regarding our First Amendment rights. I, I mean, I had pastors in you know, Russia and India all over the world emailing me and saying, I can't believe you got arrested for singing and worshiping God in public. I can't believe it. And, and I think a lot of conservatives couldn't believe it. Uh, and I ended up on, you know, the next day. So that was Wednesday. I got out that night, Thursday morning. I mean, my, I, I was in interviews from 6.30 a.m. in the morning till 7.30 at night, finishing up on Laura Ingram that Thursday night. I was on going back. I was all over the place. 
And it, it was a really embarrassing moment for our city. And it was really a very egregious moment for our first amendment rights. But what I think the other thing is going, the other play that's happening here is I don't think we realize how much uh, of our first amendment rights, second amendment rights, et cetera, have been eroded. I don't think we understand that, especially in this pandemic where these governors, these mayors, these politicians have taken um, the opportunity to grab at all sorts of angles on the authority that they have, that they've gained in all this uh, against their citizens. It really is egregious. And, and that's been one of my biggest concerns on all this. A lot of people ask me, why are you picking on the mask mandate? Well, because you don't understand how much, how many of our liberties have been taken away through this mask mandate right now. Two years from now, you're going to find out. Three years from now, you're going to find out. And so we need to start pushing back right now regarding this mask mandate. What world do we live in where we think the government can tell us what to wear on our face? What right. world do we live in where we think the government can literally tell my buddy's restaurant in downtown Idaho, Moscow, Idaho to shut down for the sake of the broader health of the community, neglecting the health and provisions for his own family? Exactly. It's absolutely madness. So a good friend of um, Calcedon, Otto Scott, he used to be a uh, an associate of Calcedon, and he would always tell me that when he was talking to someone, he would find it um, an important thing to find out, to find out about a person's father. So you didn't come out of a vacuum. You learned your American history. You learned your biblical principles of life. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you... Uh, weren't afraid to state and stand for what you knew to be correct. Yeah, that's a good, good question. Uh, so uh, my dad and mom basically became Christians at around 20, 21 years old. My mom grew up Catholic. My dad grew up nominal Baptist and my dad came to faith in kind of the Calvary chapel movement in California, Southern California. And when he became a Christian, he kind of witnessed to my mom. My mom became a Christian months later. And my dad started working at a, a bookstore in Southern Cal. And at that bookstore is where I think he kind of ran into, uh, you know, Rush Dooney and, and Greg Bonson at that bookstore. So he started kind of reading them. He reached out at the, Rush Dooney ended up kind of mentoring him a little bit. Um, and uh, so, you know, the old uh, Rush Dooney legacy, you know, connected with my dad. And, and so my dad kind of became reformed through this whole process. Uh, and then we moved to Tyler, Texas. We moved to Texas where my dad uh, spent most of his years growing up and his, his mom and dad still live in, in Texas. So we moved to Texas. Um, I was born in Texas in 1979. We were in Tyler, Texas in 1981, 82, 83. Uh, and we were in Tyler with David Chilton, you know, Gary North, Ray Sutton, kind of uh, another kind of part of the reform movement that was ha starting to happen in the early seventies, uh, late seventies. And so, um, that was kind of my dad, you know, uh, taught us the reform faith. We were catechized in the reform faith that uh, grew up in the PCA church, Presbyterian church of America. And so, um, uh, you know, great, good theological, um, foundation. And then I remember when I went, uh, to play basketball, I went to play basketball in California and in, in the late, um, uh, 1998, 99, and so forth. And that was my first time living out of the house. And just uh, even in that moment, thinking I need to own 
my parents' faith. My parents brought me up and I need to, it's, it's kind of like I either need to own my parents' faith or reject my parents' faith because mm-hmm. um, I'm out on my own. I'm playing basketball to college. Um, you get a lot of attention at a college. You get away with a lot of things at colleges and as a student athlete, how much more so. And I remember the first Sunday I woke up to go to church that morning as before iPhones were there, before GPS was on your phone, that kind of thing. And I just drove around town and found a good Baptist church that was open and worshiping. And so I went, um, and, and that was a very important moment for me in my faith and my walk with the Lord, knowing that either you own what your parents taught you, you believe in the God that they've given you, you believe in the God of your father, right? Or you reject them. And, and, uh, I never went back to that church. Um, it just wasn't a good fit for me, but, uh, it was, uh, it was just a, such a great blessing to be in that moment and to know what God, that, that, uh, you know, that God was working in my life, even in that moment. I look back and I'll never forget that that was a really important kind of point for my faith. And then by the time I came to Moscow, Idaho, my pastor's Doug Wilson, um, you know, we're uh, kind of that theonomic theology started to get into my bones and seep deep in and everything. So um, kind of having the theological context with the, my dad's kind of like John Wayne. Um, he passed away <laughs> in 2012, but kind of this John Wayne father. So having the theological context with the with a dad like my dad, I think, um, kind of gave me a lot of the makeup of of why uh, I was there that that evening and not handing over my driver's license for practicing my First Amendment rights. Right. So one of the things that I think um, you brought to light in what you said is that a lot of people would have considered your response unchristian. I mean, if you're going to be a good citizen, you do what the quote unquote authorities tell you. And there's a certain boldness that's obvious in just hearing you recount the story. But the more I looked into the things that you put your attention on in your focus, there is... um, a, a thread that says we must be bold and we must need to live unabashedly in the name of Jesus Christ and reclaim the public square in his name. Speak a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a big question. Uh, you know, one of the things I think the church has done really uh, not very well, done pretty poorly, is discipling um, its people, the, discipling the sheep on how to apply the Bible to every area of our lives. We, I think this, at least my generation, the 40 years I've been alive, the church has not done a very good will, a very, very good job, excuse me, in, in teaching how the scriptures apply to politics and teaching how the scripture applies to culture and teaching, you know, what is the role of government in relationship to the church in relationship to family government, you know, the three spheres of sovereignty, Abraham Kuyper, what it, what is the church's role in relationship to the government? And, and, and so what's happened is, is because the church has not done a good job. You go to church on Sunday, you get a good gospel message, and then you go out in the week and you go to learn about politics, let's say from Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck or something, you know, it's very disconnected from the book of principles. And so, you know, Rush Limbaugh kind of becomes our political pastor Monday through Friday. And then your pastor is your spiritual pastor on Sunday. And so there's this huge disconnect between us as Christians and how we apply the word of God to politics. And that's, I think, created, it's been a disaster for us as a church. It's been a disaster for us, even as a nation, the nation needs the church, the nation, our nation needs faithful Christian men and women who understand how the Bible applies to the public, public square. And so there's that kind of, I think, 
that kind of lack of discipleship that has happened in all this. Uh, I think secondly, related to this, is we got to have godly men and women who are um, uh, imitating Jesus in 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 a way that's um, in, in the way that Jesus uh, lived out his life in Scripture. You know, the Bible says. Uh, here's where I'm getting at. The um, we say this on our show regularly that courage begets courage, and and so if, if we aren't looking at our Lord and Savior, if we aren't understanding that that our political leaders, our uh, society, they can hurt our bodies, but we report to the one who can, who is over uh, all our flesh, over all our, uh, uh, over our spiritual life that can cast people in hell. We report to Jesus, not to my mayor. And so being able to look at Christ and receive the courage that he had to go to the cross and for the joy that was set before him is the same kind of muscle that it takes to uh, defy um, wicked laws or defy laws that are unconstitutional. Uh, and so that was really helpful for me and knowing in that moment that the reason that we sang Psalms and keep in mind, I was not going there to get arrested. They had never arrested anybody. They never written a ticket to anybody. Um, but the reason why we we're going there was because we were protesting uh, unconstitutional regulations. They were trying to tell us how to worship God. You need to wear a mask. If you can't social distance, if you can't stand six feet apart, in your church, if you can't stand six feet apart in the sidewalk or whatever, you have to wear a mask and you have to wear a mask when you worship God. And so that's a basic violation of our rights. And this is a great way to protest what we're doing. So I was loving my neighbor. I was loving my neighbor on two levels. One was because I was fighting for their constitutional rights. Uh, the, the rights that they don't even care to protect or defend. I was fighting for their rights. Secondly, this is more on the medical side of things, but there are a, a stack of historical analysis by peer-reviewed journals, scientific journals, that say masking don't work for general populations. I've, I've read them all. I have the links. I have um, uh, now there's a lot of recent, since this pandemic's happened, there's a lot of recent articles that have come out saying masking does work for the general population, but the CDC still has journals on their website that say masking don't work, but that's all before this pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't trust anything uh, post pandemic or even, you know, current pandemic, uh, any articles that, you know, advocate for masking current pandemic. Um, and so the science is it, at minimum, the science is out on if masking really do work. So if that's the case, well then wearing my mask in one sense is lying to my neighbors. It's giving a false sense of security that Dr. Fauci said, he, he made the same argument back in March, 60 minutes. And, and, and so I don't want to give a false sense of security to my neighbors. And, and so to live a lie is anti-Christian. So I, I want to love my neighbors the best I can by fighting for the person human rights and by presenting accurately what it means to live in this world. And, and so those are, I guess those would be kind of my arguments on what, why I was loving my neighbor in all this. Right. And I think one of the things that's revealed in this, that it takes so long to explain this to the average person, because the average person has been educated in public schools, probably doesn't understand, probably couldn't tell you what the amendments were to the Constitution, or could explain them in terms of a biblical underpinning to a lot of the things that we call inalienable rights. And so you have people who have this disjointed view 
Now, when I encountered your podcast, Christ Over Politics, I imagine some people think, well, Christ is more important than politics and making it an either or. But that's not what you mean by Christ over politics. What do you mean? We mean um, that Jesus is Lord over politics and that the government reports to Christ. Just as the church reports to Christ, so does the government. Just as the family, as mom and dad, report to Christ on behalf of their children, on the state and condition of their children. Um, so does the government. The government is going to have a direct report to Jesus at the end of the day. And so we, we believe that every Bible verse in the, in the scriptures uh, has application today. Um, whether, whether, you know, seen through the lens of Christ, death and resurrection, or, or whether reasonably applied from the Old Testament to the New Testament, Westminster Confession, right? And so we, we believe that, um, and, and that Bible, every Bible verse applies to every created order, creation under God. So uh, I believe that Joe Biden needs to repent and believe. I believe that the word of God applies to Joe Biden right now. I believe the word of God applies to Vladimir Putin. You know, I believe there's, there's no text. Uh, there's no area. You know, it's the Abraham Kuyper moment. There's no, um, you know, every square inch is the Lord's. And how, how much more should we be applying this, not just to what's going on in our hearts, but what's going on into this world. And so it's, it's, it's inescapable that the church will be involved in politics. And so it's, I, I think actually Russ Juni uh, used this argument too, um, the inescapable, inescapable concept. Because we're created in the image of God, everyone's created in the image of God. The Bible applies to anyone who has God's image on their, on their, on their bodies, which is everybody. Right, which is very different than what a lot of people will think. They'll say, well, God's law applies if you've accepted Jesus into your life, when that's such an irrelevant way to look at it. If, if Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he doesn't depend on someone accepting him or acknowledging him. He is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. Well, and that's, that's what's crazy about, like, you read through Psalms and David is constantly, or the, the authors of Psalms are constantly saying that all nations will bow or that all nations will um, praise God, or that all nations, you know, it's constantly using this, this phrase, all nations in the Psalms. And so, I mean, and obviously it's referring to very Gentile, very pagan nations in that text. So uh, yeah, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so you either want to bow willingly to Jesus, or you're going to get crushed and bow to Jesus. There's, there's only two ways to bow. And, and so I, uh, you know, I choose to do it willingly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good. So you said that you did a podcast and it went viral. Who are your audience members? Who, who are people who listen to your podcast? Yeah. So when we did that cross-politic episode on September 23rd, I got arrested. I got released in about 730 at night, eight o'clock at night. We go and do a live kind of a live stream of our show. And, uh, it, it just, it just went all over the place. It was a really good moment. It was, uh, I think it was a really good show. It, it captured a lot of, I think some of the tension and frustration and some of the hope that our country and Christians wanted to hear and, and, and need and see, um, you know, because when Christians are faithful, it gives hope. Our, our audience is, I think largely, it's kind of interesting. Of course, we got some Presbyterians in our audience. We got some Reformed Baptists in our audience, but I think our audience is largely evangelical. It's it's kind of, and this is 
more anecdotal than I have actual data for. So kind of take that in this context. But our our as I understand our audience, we've been around for about four years. As I understand our audience, we're largely um, probably you know thirty five to to forty years old. This is probably the average age of our audience, and they're you know it's a husband and wife. They're they're married. They're have, raising kids. They're trying to figure out what they do about education. They're trying to figure out how does the Bible apply to politics. They know something's wrong. They know that um, the Bible and the scriptures are uh, uh, pertinent to every area of our, of our of our lives, but they haven't been taught on how to apply the scriptures to uh, you know the public square or to culture or to the current problems that they're facing right now. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of Christians I think right now are raising their kids in this moment and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to give my kids this America. I'm, I'm going to give my kids this country, this city, this state or whatever. I'm, and they're probably very feel, fearful for their kids thinking that the America that they grew up in is going to be, is nothing. It's gone. And so, you know, my pastor pointed out, he's like, you know, don't, don't be fearful about the America you're giving your kids. Remember, God made your kids for this moment. So give your kids the tools and disciple your kids to be ready for what God's going to be doing in the next 50 years in our, in our country. And so te- give your kids a Christian education, teach your kids how to worship God, pass your faith down to your kids because, yeah, we're giving them a very different America. And so it's, it's really important that and how we understand raising our kids in this moment. And, and that's, I think, why our, our audience is kind of average age, 35 to 40, and are seeking and trying to understand how to apply the Bible and don't even know if they're Presbyterian or, or Baptist or what. They just, they just want to learn God's word and they just want to have a context for how to raise their kids in this moment. Excellent. And did you get a lot of questions or a lot of write-ons from people? What was sort of the overall response? Yeah, I, I think um, most of it was very positive from outside of town. Uh, now I did have, there were Facebook groups, there were Christian magazines, there were Christian publishing outlets who got the stories wrong and didn't quite understand everything that was going on. And there's some ne- negativity there mm-hmm. um, from that. A lot of, uh, I, you know, of course the whole Romans 13 argument came up, you know, why aren't you submitting to your government? Romans 13, yada, yada. Right. Uh, also the loving, the loving your neighbor argument was also thrown at me. And uh, but overwhelmingly, people were uh, very encouraging, and they reached out. Uh, uh, the The worst part of it actually was actually my own city. Uh, the day after I got arrested, uh, two days after I got arrested, Friday and Saturday, I'm driving around running errands for my wife, and like I'm getting flipped off wherever I went. I go to the store, and people are walking past me and cussing at me. I mean, just it's just really low, really, really poor uh, from the the leftists in my community and everything. So, uh, but. The other odd thing about all this was I was actually running for county commissioner during while all this is going on. So I got arrested as I'm running for county commissioner and all this. I end up losing in November. Surprise, you know, shocker. I get arrested and I lose, lose an election. And so there was, I was, you know, there's some, just a lot of silliness that was kind of targeted at me um, from my local community and all that. But um, overall, but man, I think. Uh, you know, a lot of our Canadian friends right now, if you guys have been paying attention to the Canadian news uh, this past couple of months, I mean, they're really getting pressured to not have church. And there's a number of churches and pastors who are getting arrested and getting fined and so forth. And I've been in touch with those pastors and they've been very encouraged by how what happened to me and how it gave them boldness to do what they're doing in Canada. So, you know, God's been kind 
this story has been, I think, very helpful to the church for the most part. And, and the negativity has been pretty minimal. And in addition to this, the other thing that helped me is like, I won my case. My case got dismissed on January 9th. Um, they were wrong. And the judge dismissed my case. I didn't even have to go to trial. They dismissed it. So that's been, it's hard for them to maintain the Romans 13 argument, even on that side of the fence too. So Right. So, you know, if you were just a single guy and say, you know, I have to go through all this and withstand the slings and arrows, but you're a married man, you've got children. What was this all like for your family? Yeah, it, it was very encouraging for me as a dad to go through this and, and my, my wife uh, be 100% behind me and my kids be joyful through it all. Uh, when I, um, ha- if my wife, if we were not on the same page, this would be a very different and more difficult moment than what it ended up being. So, uh, my wife was super encouraging. In fact, when I, uh, I, that night I was going to go sing Psalms and then I was going to stop by Safeway to get a couple items for dinner that night and come home. Well, I go to sing psalms. I got arrested. I don't have access to my cell phone anymore. So I never make it. I, ne- I can't go to Safeway and I can't make it home. And and so obviously some of my friends connected. I think my pastor called my wife. A number, number of people called my wife and said, Gabe got arrested and let her know uh, what went on. And so my wife was able to kind of do homework with the kids that night. She knew I was fine. Um, I was, you know, in jail, but I was close by. And, and so she's able to feed the kids, do homework that night. And then I, as soon as I get out of jail, I'm walking to my studio. She she, uh, I called her and, and she, her, the first thing she said was, Hey, don't worry. You don't need to go to Safeway for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we had a, we had a good laugh. Um, she was just really encouraged, uh, encouraging to me. And I, you know, she encouraged me to go on the, do the live show. So I went right to the studio, um, with her. And then that night when I got home, I got home about 10, 10 30 that night, my kids couldn't sleep. Their bedtime's eight 30. So I got home about 10 o'clock that night. They're still awake in their beds waiting for me to get home. And so they come running downstairs and give me a big hug. And they were all happy to see me and they could peacefully go back, go to sleep now and everything. So obviously my kids don't quite connect all the dots with everything that's sure. going on, but they were um, very happy, very cheerful. And my, my wife had obviously walked them through everything that happened. And, and you know, this is a good moment, to, good moment to teach your kids and separate kids that this is, you know, we're doing what we believe the word of God tells us to do and we're exercising our first amendment rights and we're worshiping God and, and the government is um, overstepping their authoritative bounds here. And that's why daddy did what he did. So um, mm-hmm. my kids were, were great to it all. Okay. Now I heard that you had planned a conference um, in Tennessee and you had some concern that possibly as a result of all this, people would be reluctant to come to the conference. So tell us about that conference that you did. Man, three, so three weeks after I got arrested, I was coordinating. Um, so we have, so Cross Politic is my TV show and podcast. And then we kind of have this uh, podcast network um, called the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. And we got baseball shows on there and business shows and everything. And it's, it's just a fun podcast network. And so we fight, we, laugh, and feast. Those three words. Yep. Yep. And you can go to fightlaughfeast.com to find, you know, to find your way down that, that path. Uh, and so we... Wanted, we, we were planning and coordinating our first Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Tennessee. And uh, th- this was such an odd year. This last year, obviously, was such an odd year to plan a conference. I think we were one of the only Christian conferences in the fall that actually happened. There might have been one or two others, but we were the only ones I, that I knew of um, that I can recall 
that actually did an in-person conference in October. And it was still difficult. We had to move our conference to another county because Nashville was being really silly. You couldn't gather in our current building. So three weeks before our conference, I got arrested. And I also had to move our conference to an adjacent county that didn't have mask mandates and was open and allowed us to do our thing. Mm -hmm. So we went, we went to Franklin. We ended up having, I ended up having to shut down registration because so many, we had more people that were registered than we could handle. So we shut down registration and ended up having about a thousand people at our conference in Tennessee. And I mean, the, I, the, I was very encouraged. I think everybody was very encouraged, but at the same time, one of the feedback loops I heard at our conference was there were so many people who'd either left their church in the last six months because they, the church just stopped having church mm-hmm. or they're doing online church or they were requiring, you know, some sort of silly thing like mass, like the, the, the church was requiring mass in their own worship service. Right. And, and so there was a lot of people at our conference who were kind of going through that. So we're actually, um, uh, we're planning another, we're calling it a rally in South Dakota, uh, at March, excuse me, March, uh, April 29th through May 1st. And it's called a fight, laugh, East rally. And our, our whole, goal there is to rally the church and bring people back together to worship and, and encourage the saints uh, through fellowship, food, and, and teaching. And we're doing that. We didn't plan that conference. Uh, we weren't planning on doing that conference. And we decided in, at the end of December to do it because, again, the church is just scattered. The people of God are scattered. And when you're scattered, you're weak. And when you're scattered, you aren't um, you know, um, participating in the body of Christ. and You aren't receiving encouragement and teaching and, and, and so forth. So we're doing a rally in South Dakota for the same reason, basically. Right. And, you know, I think it shows that the enemies of God know more about church than a lot of these Mm. churches that close down or require people to mask themselves to go, because they realize if you get rid of that link of community, you get rid of potential resistance to your unlawful mandates. And so just the fact that you see um, so many people, I mean, I'm told because I talked to someone who knew about the conference that you were kind of like, well, maybe 60, 100 people will show up to this thing. And many times over that did. So it gives you a sense of how many people were hungry for Christian fellowship. Yeah. That's right. We had, we had by the time. So originally when we first started planning it, we were like, yeah, man, we're maybe going to have, you know, 200, 300 people. That's what David and Pastor Toby, other hosts on my show, were thinking. And then by the time August came rolling around, we were, I think we were up to uh, 500. But then that last month, 500, maybe six, but that last, you know, September, that last month just blew up because I think of that very issue. Uh, and then I got arrested. And I think that just energized the whole scenario. <laughs> People were just excited to be like, hey, you know, we're, we're making progress. We're kind of um, showing uh, we're defying tyrants, uh, right. you know, tyrants with a small T we're defying a mayor here in town who thinks he can tell you to wear a mask and, and we're winning and we're seeing some victories there. And that's the church needs to be, um, t- the church needs to find a way to cause good trouble. That's something we are, the <laughs> church is trouble. The church, remember godly trouble. That's right. Uh, you know, the church instead has been taught the 11th commandment. Thou shalt be nice. And, and, and instead we actually need to find ways to cause the right kind of godly trouble, uh, you know, it, it takes, it takes real conviction and it takes, a, a, you have to fight to remain faithful to God, right? That's the whole idea of sanctification. You got to fight to kill sin. You, you, you can't just passively die to sin. You have to fight to kill sin. Uh, in the same way, you have to fight to keep a good society. You have to work hard at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to work hard at going liberal. 
And so that's what I think is kind of, we've lost that idea that we actually need to fight to maintain or improve on a good society as opposed to getting fat and sassy, which is what's happened to the church. The church has gotten really lazy, really lethargic, really apathetic. We live in the richest nation in the history of the world. Everyone's got cars, TVs, warm house, running water, all this stuff. And so we've gotten very fat and sassy. And that's why you're seeing this apathetic church, you know, uh, pastors are apathetic. Uh, um, elders are, um, you know, fat being basically fat and lazy and all this. And so we shut down church because it's easy and we've forgotten what it means to, to fight rightly and fight well and to fight to, to, um, you know, lead God's people. And that's, that's been really, I think, I think that's been revealed this year is that how incapable the church is of resisting petty tyrannical orders that should be really easy to resist. I mean, I think about this, the courage that it took Rosa Parks to sit on the front of the bus Mm -hmm. in Jim Crow era with these, these silly and wicked Jim Crow regulations. A lot of them were driven by health orders. A lot of them were health codes. Don't drink at this fountain health code. You can drink at this fountain health code. Don't sit on this side of the restaurant health code. You can sit on this side. A lot of them were actually health codes, which is what the government is taking a serious advantage of right now. And, but that same courage that it took Rosa Parks to sit in the front of the bus was the same courage that I was accessing to sing Psalms and, and, resist um tyranny now her courage was far greater than mine she had much more to lose than mine she was fighting decades of jim crow laws i was fighting six months of masking mandates yes now but that courage you know we as a christian church we need to reclaim what it means to have a good strong biblical courage and and where to channel that courage in in our current fight yeah. And now, you know, lately, the past week or so, the word fight has um, had many different connotations saying that when a certain person used that word, it meant insurrection and whatever. But what I really like about your story is that with all the people who were there, you didn't end up in physical confrontation with the police or the sheriff. And that when you were taken in the the patrol car and you were there, you didn't stop being the Christian man that you are and you used it as an opportunity to share the truth. And I honestly think that's something that the enemies of God either can't understand or it stymies them because they expect that evil will be returned for evil. And what you did was living what Jesus said, returning good for evil. Well, I think part of the the church has kind of lost faith in the weapons that God has given us. Our weapons aren't flesh and blood. Our weapons aren't shovels. Our weapons aren't guns. But God's given us weapons that are far more powerful. And one of those weapons, one of those tools that God's given us is the Psalms. And we need to reclaim Psalm singing. We need to reclaim the weapons that God God gives us because that's how he moves mountains. Mm -hmm. He uses the church through worship. To move mountains, he re- he uses the church through singing, uh, you know, psalms through worshiping him to change the world, uh, and and that's why I think that moment was that much more powerful. And instead of being, you know, a violent mob like Black Lives Matter or, or being, you know, 
using violence. The, the church's job is to use psalms. The church's job is to use worship. The church's job is to use, you know, the, the weapons that God has given us. And, and it's a great tool. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy to, you know, one of the blessings our founders gave us was this First Amendment that packages everything actually pretty well. Free speech, the right to assemble, the right to worship, the right to petition. And so we were exercising and the right to report freedom of the and the press. right to report. Right. That's exactly right. Freedom press. And, and we were exercising, we were embodying basically the whole first amendment in that protest. And, and it was a, it was a great way to protest. And I think churches, this is one way that church should protest. And this is what churches have done for, for centuries is go worship in front of your city council, go do a Psalm sing in your public square, go, uh, it's just a powerful statement because worship obviously brings out joy in you. Worship brings unity of the saints together and worship drives, uh, is the engine in which God uses to change the world. And, and so it's just a, I think a great way to, to do these things. And no one, no one's mad while they're singing Psalms to God. No one gets violent. No one gets angry. No one wants to, uh, you know, throw things around. It really sets the right tone for how I think Christians should be engaging in our public square with these kind of unconstitutional mandates. So do you think there's a crop of people like you who are bold and are willing to say, you know, you do what you want with me, we're going to obey God. Are, are you encouraged that as you reach out to people and you hear feedback from your podcast, that this is a movement that's growing in our country? Yeah, I, um, uh, man, I don't know if I could judge if it's growing. I definitely, hear uh, my feedback loop and my feedback loop, I think is pretty big through my show and through my public notoriety now, I guess, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and the feedback loop, I think a lot of people are encouraged, uh, but the problem is, is uh, it's, it's a lot of people from the congregation. It's it, pastors. I don't, I hear, I do hear from pastors. I hear from the pastors in Canada and I do hear from pastors, but um, that's where, uh, the, my feedback loop is smaller is with pastors. And that's also where I think the bigger problem is. I think a lot of the congregation wants to worship. I think a lot of the congregation doesn't want to wear masks. I think a lot of the congregation wants to gather, but it's the pastors and the elders who are making these soft decisions and not you know, doing online church or, or whatever, doing two services so people can spread out or whatever. And, and that's where I think the real problem is. I believe, of course, I'm post-mill. I believe that Jesus King, Kings, Lord, Lord, I believe things will get better over time. I believe that salvation, uh, that the knowledge of God will cover the cover the world like the waters cover the earth. I believe all that's going to happen. But I do believe in this moment, I feel a little more like I'm like part of Gideon's army, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. You know, like, you know, I feel like God is finding his soldiers through this um, pandemic and finding, you know, cutting, you, you know, sifting the wheat and chaff and all this. So I, I, I think a, the congregations encourage. I think a lot of people are 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 looking for more um, courageous leaders, and I just don't think we as a church really have them in 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 numbers. Right. I've got to tell you, in my own area, um, I've had a learning curve, and that is for the longest time, I thought that the goal was to help people have good theology. And yet you find out that a lot of the people who shared your theology aren't meeting, aren't gathering to worship God. And so um, in the church that I attend currently that's open, there are people from all different persuasions, 
But one of the things that's so obvious, Gabe, is you see the Holy Spirit's, you feel it's palpable, the Holy Spirit's presence, and people mm -hmm. are so eager for fellowship. And I'm not sure anything else other than this kind of resistance to it could have brought this about. Certainly for me, yeah. I feel like I'm learning an awful lot. Yeah. We have the problem with the Reformed Church is that we've had we've gained knowledge without application. We've gained knowledge without that desire for that knowledge to come out our fingertips. Um, the Reformed Church is very biblically literate and very um, lacking on touching it, touching the ground. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I think that is one of the things that you see in all this is that your theology uh, comes out your fingertips and if it's not coming out your fingertips, well, then you just had head knowledge. You just had information that you didn't really believe, that you really, in practicality, didn't really believe. And I think that's, so I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, the PCA Church. And, and I'm just um, very sad by the lack of courageous leadership that's in the Presbyterian Church um, these days. It's, it's really sad. So, uh, you know, that's why, you know, it's, it's funny because what you're seeing is you're really seeing pockets of various pastors and various denominations show good leadership in all this. So you got your Calvary Chapel. There's a couple of Calvary Chapel churches in, in California that are, I think, resisting and doing the right thing. You got John MacArthur Church, who's kind of flip-flopped on this a little bit. Um, but even then, he's he's shown, I think, some good leadership in all this. Um, we'll remain to see if it continues to, to, to show good leadership in all this. Um, you have, I think my church has, has done well. Um, uh, you have a couple of Canadian churches who are doing really well uh so it but it's not it's not one denomination you know it's it's pockets of variety of denominations mm -hmm. or calvary chapels or presbyterian churches or reformed baptist churches that are that are i think standing up and being a good example but you're right uh you know i i interviewed uh pastor Coates. he's the canadian pastor who's probably going to get arrested tomorrow for preaching on sunday preaching this past sunday and uh he told me like I have all sorts of people coming to my church who would never go to church in the first place, but they're coming. Yep. And just, just because he's been pushing back. And this is, this is goes back to my statement earlier. Courage begets courage. And when you just show just a little bit of courage, it's a, it's infectious and, and people, you know, the sheep will follow the sheep want to be encouraged. The sheep will hears God's word preached. They will come. That's how, that's what Jesus promised. Yes. And, and, and so, uh, when, when pastors aren't showing real biblical leadership in all this, well, the church is suffering. It's true. And, you know, I, I remember one of Dr. Rush Dooney's sermons that we're all sheep and we're all going to follow a shepherd. And the question is, yeah. is the shepherd going to be the Lord Jesus Christ or is the shepherd going to be the state? And, uh, so there's no getting around that we're sheep, but the question is whose voice do we hear? That's right. Amen. So just in terms of not being afraid of being controversial, um, why don't you share a little bit what your next year's conference is going to be? That's of course, very, very uncontroversial. I say that sarcastic. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we got our rally coming up in South Dakota, uh, March 29th through April 1st. That's, uh, the topic of that rally is, uh, love God, sing Psalms to fight tyrants. Uh, so we got, um, uh, you know, it, it, some good, 
the, the church needs a theology of defining tyrants. It really does. And so that's our goal there to bring this, bring God's people together and, and learn and build a theology around this moment. Uh, our conference in Nashville, national conference in Nashville is uh, called, is on the, the politics of sex. And this is uh, another area that is, that really is super controversial and it shouldn't be for the church. Uh, we need a theology, a biblical theology of sex. Uh, we need a biblical theology of life between the sexes. We need a biblical theology of how to handle our current cultural sins of homosexuality and transgenderism. And uh, so that's uh, what we're uh, going to be doing in Nashville. That is October 14th through the 16th. And of course, you can go to fightlaughfeast.com to follow both those events and everything. So uh, these are topics that should be preached from, from the pulpit a lot more regularly, and they aren't. Pastors are scared, I think, to teach on the home, the sin of homosexuality. They're scared they'll get canceled. They're scared they'll, they'll, their sermon will get on YouTube or whatever. And, and we got to be um, equipped for these moments. And, and we got to be teaching and discipling the church and how to apply biblical theology to defining tyrants, to sexuality, and so forth. So that's what our uh, both our conferences are rallying our conferences doing this year. And I imagine people can sign up for either or both by going online. Yes. Yep. Again, contact at fightlaughfeast.com. Excuse me. Uh, fightlaughfeast.com will get you there. And you can email us at contact at fightlaughfeast.com also to get connected with us and what's going on. So, yeah. Okay. So last question, although sometimes I say last question and I throw an extra one in there, but explain the concept of fight. We've already kind of gone over that, but we haven't really talked about laugh. L-A-U-G-H, nor have we talked about Feast, F-E-A-S-T. So why don't you share about, about that a little bit? Oh, there's so much there. You know, uh, Fight, Laugh, Feast, that became a thing for us because our show, was for Cross Politic, our show, we wanted just kind of a tagline to say kind of at the end of, uh, at the, end of the show, and, and we came up with Fight, Laugh, Feast. And the reason why we came up with that uh, phrase is because we believe that's what we wanted to emphasize, and we believe this is what the church needs to currently emphasize, giving our moment time. The church needs to learn how to fight well, and I've already you know, mentioned some of that, fight your own sin, but also learn how to fight for truth in society well. Uh, and also, uh, there's an element there, the church needs to know how to fight with each other well. That means uh, having good quality theological debates and disagreements and working through the text and working through disagreements with one another, we need to learn how to fight well. So that's, that's the idea behind fight, uh, laugh, uh, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Uh, we need to have a good theology of, uh, laughter because laughter is in the Lord is strength. And, and so that includes obviously just, you know, um, having that disposition Christians, we, we shouldn't be cranky. We shouldn't be walking around with our frowns, we should be the most joyful people here in our, in our society. Right. We're, like for example, forgiven. right. If God be for you, who can be against you and don't take yourself too seriously. And I think That's laugh right. starts with being able to laugh at yourself and realize that That's you don't right. know everything there is to know and you make blunders. And um, right. it, it says a lot for community. And what I told you, and I'm sure you're experiencing it as well, as people get together at church, you hear a lot of laughter. You see a lot of smiles, and that's just so good for the soul. It is. It is. 
And so that's the idea behind laughter. You're right. You need to, uh, the other aspect of laughter is you need to be able to laugh about yourself, not take yourself too seriously. And then lastly, regarding feasting, uh, feasting has become a lost art in the church. And uh, man, God has given us so much uh, food, so much variety of food, so much good wine, so much good scotch, so much good uh, in, in this world. And, and we need to partake of it with our family, with our children, with our community. And um, feasting is just such a great way to not, not just um, build community within the church, but also as an evangelism tool in society. And so uh, one of the ways in our community that we've kind of decided to work out feasting is we, every Saturday night, we have a big kind of what we call Sabbath feast. Uh, it's just a big dinner, you know, extra, extra food, extra wine, whatever, to get ready for uh, church the next day to kind of emphasize, hey, tomorrow's church. We get to go to church. And uh, practicing this with my family, it gets my kids excited about church the next day. Um, and so feasting is just a, a, a lost art that needs to be recovered, intentionally needs to be recovered in the home uh, and as we fellowship with with Christians. And of course, at the center of all feasting is the Lord's Supper on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesus prepared a table for us. And so we need to mimic that and copy that in our houses. And people should not forget that um, there was feasting. There were feast days in scripture, Mm -hmm. and that's something that's gone away. And I don't know, growing up, you would always look forward to Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, you know, things like that. And I think the more that we have those and not make it the Super Bowl or the World Series, that we actually make it something that is centered around the fellowship of the believers would do wonders for God's congregation. That's exactly right. Well, Gabe, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy um, and uh, it only took one request and you said yes. So I was very grateful for that. It's an honor. You know, like I said, like I mentioned a little bit, my dad uh, loved Rush Dooney and loved, uh, you know, I think I, he passed down all of Rush Dooney's books, all of his books that he owned from Rush Dooney down to me and uh, my brother. And so uh, it's, it's great to come on and, and be a part of what you guys are doing. Good. Well, I hope you get some good feedback on this. Listeners, if you have any comments on it, questions or suggestions for future broadcasts, please feel free to email me at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.